Welcome to this week's Over the Farmgate podcast with myself, Farmers Guardian reporter Lucy Baxter. Agroforestry and natural capital. They're two terms that might sound quite new and complicated, but they're going to form part of farming and agriculture going forward. Planting trees and helping ecosystems will become part of your businesses, and on this episode, we're going to be chatting and unpacking what those terms mean to you. Joining me on this week's Over the Farmgate podcast are Guy Thallon from the Science Research Institute, Ferrer, Glenn Buckingham, a farm estate manager, and Anna Beams, the CEO of Suffolk Farming Wildlife Advisory Group. Last week, Suffolk Farming Wildlife Advisory Group organised a farm walk at Framsden Hall at the Helmingham Estate. The event also included a talk from Guy, and so I thought it'd be really great to have them all on the podcast. So, Glenn, if we start with you, obviously you've been working on a natural capital project. Can you tell us why you got involved and what it includes? So we've um, been looking at our natural capital for many years, having been taken part in many stewardship schemes uh, across the whole farm, uh, the in-hand farm of Helmingham Estate. And uh, not only do we look at the, the assets of the, the trees, the ponds, the hedges um, and our soil, um, we also look at our buildings and maintaining some of our traditional buildings so that the link to the history and the landscape is maintained and also, therefore, the biodiversity that um, comes with all of that. So finding a way to look at the value and assess our natural capital, we can see now is quite important. And because obviously there will be income and it is valued and it is necessary for society and humanity probably to continue um, using these assets. And you planted 600 new trees, I believe, in an agroforestry scheme alongside existing arable cropping. How long was kind of that process of planting those trees and sort of how much of la- how much land has that taken away from the estate? Uh, so in those two fields that uh, where we planted them, it's um, yeah, the eight, 1800 metres in length is, is the total length of, to get those 600 trees in. Um, then it's about 1.7% of the field area. So it's a tiny area which really uh, will enhance, of course, um, the landscape, uh, the, the, do the public good, sequester carbon, um, provide biodiversity, uh, help with clean air, uh, clean water, and so on. And, um, and therefore, and public good. So um, is there are close to footpaths. And the really lovely thing about it was we actually took acorns from the trees adjoining those fields and we you know, planted those as, sap- as saplings. We grew them on and planted them as saplings. So there's a real link and connection to um, our, our natural capital. Now, obviously, um, times are changing for farmers. You know, there's that real look towards being more sustainable and sort of the environmental incentives that farmers can can take part in. Um, you're also the Suffolk NFU's vice chair. Um, you stepped down from chair earlier this year. How, in your role, have you kind of had conversations with farmers about this agroforestry and potentially making their farms a more environmentally friendly place? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I'd say the NFU is not renowned for putting the ecology forward first. Um, And so whilst you are county chair, one of your jobs is to write 250 words a month for the magazine that goes to the um, eastern region. And uh, and so in that, I would have talked about the environment, uh, our ecology, and how dangerous or damaging it could be that we lose sight of it. 
So I've attempted in, in the nicest possible way to encourage the thought that we must not just think about the latest fungicide, the latest herbicide, the, you know, how big our yields are. Um, it's not got, has not got to be the common theme. We've got to look at our land management in a holistic way. And why don't you just talk to me a little bit about the farm there, what it's like, what it, how big it is, what, um, what's on it, and just a bit more about that. Okay, yeah, so it's principally an arable farm. Um, we grow wheat, barley, oilseed, rape, and peas. The, uh, we have about 65 fields or field arable field parcels. Uh, so there's lots of edge and lots of hedgerows. Um, there is basically a hedge around every field. Um, and um, it's all primarily uh, a clay soil. So it's got under drainage. Uh, across the majority of it. We are then attached to, um, we have the remnants of uh, meadows, some 50 odd meadows around the farm, we, because these this farm is made up of a collective of small tenant farms that have slowly gone, disappeared over the last 50 years. And so these meadows have been kept from a conservation point of view. Um, and so we have those as well, plus a deer park. And so we run Occupy, um, basically uh, 800 hectares of the of the Helmingham estate, which um, adds in total with uh, tenant farmers, is 2,000 hectares. And um, that's where we are. And obviously around where, where you are, are many farmers sort of getting into agroforestry? Is it an untapped market? Do you think that they're not fully aware of the incentives and the benefits for them? Well, of course, that's right. It really has come forward um, since leaving Europe that uh, we've got to start looking at our own schemes to um, enhance the countryside and we can develop as uh, DEFRA wish to um, uh, land management schemes of our own. Now, uh, in Europe, there are some places where agroforestry is quite common. Globally, it's quite common. Um, around here, uh, the only the real pioneer was up at Wakelands in Suffolk and the chap who started it 30 odd years ago. So there's a really nice mature site there. Um, as for encouraging, I think we are the very early days. When, within the SFI there, and the ELM schemes, there will be um, an, a payment to help people uh, engage with, with agroforestry as one option uh, of looking after their farms. And so, Guy, if we talk to you why don't you briefly discuss your role at Ferra and what the company is yeah uh, so uh, my role at Ferra is uh, uh, strategic business development um, so I have a commercial role um, in what is a very uh, science-based organization um, so I am liaising with industry with clients with customers and with collaborators um, across the breadth of our kind of service offer, our kind of domains that we work in, which is kind of agriculture, uh, food and environment. Um, and I'm, uh, I describe myself as a signposter or a connector, um, the kind of link from uh, those scientists, our capabilities. We have about uh, 450 scientists uh, at the site uh, just outside of York, about 10, 10 miles out of York to the northeast. Um, a purpose-built uh, science facility. Um, we've got a real breadth of science capabilities from uh, across agri, food and environment. Um, so that could be um, scientists who are experts in bees. We could have um, uh, statisticians, uh, remote sensing scientists, uh, ecologists, plant pathologists. Um, so a real kind of uh, excellent, uh, rich mix of uh, science capabilities and 
my role is really to take that science capability and use it to address the challenges that face um, industry, um, whether those are the kind of emerging threats that are coming over time um, or whether those are the kind of things that are immediate um, that require a, a solution this season. Um, and over the last kind of six, 12 months, um, I've been working very closely with that science team, especially the team in natural capital, uh, to develop and launch our LAM360 service, which is our natural capital assessment service. Um, and it's that service uh, through which the collaboration with Suffolk FWAG has come. Um, so uh, we launched that at the beginning of this year um, and uh, a range of different businesses have come to us. Uh, we have a, a relatively limited kind of commercial team. So um, we find we kind of attract the early adopters, those who are looking for that kind of information, looking for new approaches. Um, and uh, Suffolk FWAG came to us trying to understand uh, their approach to natural capital um, and how they kind of enact change at a landscape scale. Um, and the kind of engagement that we've had with uh, Suffolk FWAG, Anna and uh, Glenn um, has just been really useful to kind of broaden um, the type of farms that we're engaging with um, so that we're seeing that kind of full picture of the decisions that businesses are making around how they manage their natural capital going forwards. Can you explain maybe for farmers who aren't potentially aware of natural capital projects, what and maybe the um, the incentives are to get involved in them and also kind of maybe the categories involved or if it's a dairy or arable, what kind of farms can get involved in these? Yeah, no, I can give an overview of what natural capital is. So uh, natural capital is a term that describes the ecological assets that exist within a landscape. Uh, and it really is a kind of broad catch-all term um, to describe all those features, uh, whether that's the trees, the woodlands, the habitats, um, the fields, the soil, uh, the margins, um, any ecological habitat um, that exists within that boundary of the farm business is described as natural capital. Um, historically, our primary interest has been in the soil, um, to use that for either uh, sustaining livestock or for growing crops um, or for farm buildings uh, as well. Um, but increasingly, there's uh, interest in understanding actually what natural capital exists uh, and understanding that in detail uh, to look at actually how that natural capital is functioning and delivering some really important ecosystem services. And those Ecosystem services are those services that are derived from natural capital. Um, so it could be uh, direct services, so crop production or, or meat production, um, or kind of sustaining um, uh, stable land, so you can build houses, etc. Um, or it could be indirect um, uh, services, and that's the area that's gaining a huge amount of interest, a huge amount of traction. Um, so clean air, uh, biodiversity, uh, carbon sequestration, uh, nutrient cycling, all of these kind of services that we get from the natural environment that um, are kind of broadly taken for granted or aren't actively managed uh, at a farm scale uh, traditionally. So yeah, natural capital is an approach to look at those kind of building blocks uh, within a landscape and to understand them at a level of detail that allows you to then kind of manage that ecosystem um, in a more effective way. It's a very interesting part of sort of nature I think and and you know gone are the days where potentially you didn't need to think about these kind of things and sort of collaborating farming and food production with with nature and ecosystems and that kind of harmony is I think is something that we'll all see the benefits from as it as it takes off is there a link do you think between you know agroforestry 
you know, natural capital um, and farm production. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's the direct link between something like soil, which is obviously the medium in which we, we're producing, um, but there's indirect links as well. Every, every When you consider natural capital, you divide it into assets, but those assets, as we all know, aren't fixed. They're not kind of, they don't have hard lines, hard boundaries. Um, those services and those uh, interactions flow beyond the bounds. So a hedge just doesn't just have benefit within the bounds of that hedge or within that footprint of the hedge. It's hosting um, a, a range of different wildlife, which uh, plays a functional role at a farm level, but also could at a landscape level. Um, and I think we, we commonly recognise that with things like uh, margins, where we're hosting pollinators, which are beneficial for society as a whole, but equally, we could be hosting beneficials, which could be reducing the pest pressure in your crop. Um, so that's a really nice example. Things like agroforestry are great examples where we're starting to kind of cut up the traditional farm landscape uh, and look to rebuild some of that kind of complexity and diversity that would traditionally and historically exist within our landscape and starting to kind of create more of a patchwork, um, a, a more diverse and more kind of uh, or a richer patchwork than our current landscape looks uh, and giving those opportunities to bring that ecology um, those environmental features uh, into um, the cropped area uh, in, a, in a more kind of direct mode. I mean it's it's such an interesting area and I think you know for, for farmers who don't know about it or for farmers who are really unsure whether not whether to do it but how much time it'll take that potentially they need to to do other things like you know the cows or their animals or their their crops where's the support or information for them to to find out more about this do you think yeah i, I think that's it's a really good question and i think there's that's part of the challenge and absolutely part of the reason why we're collaborating and partnering with suffolk flag is because actually at the moment um it is quite overwhelming um there's a real push for change and that push is coming from consumers it's coming from uh, customers who we may be supplying products to, um, and uh, it's coming from society as a whole. So, uh, but how we change systems to respond to the climate emergency, biodiversity emergency, um, and to continue to produce food and uh, continue to farm um, is a really massive question. Um, and natural capital starts to provide us with some of the solutions, but it also uh, starts to uh, get us looking in detail at how that natural environment is structured and what we can use that natural environment for um, so with land 360 the kind of setup for that is really to create the best baseline that you can and then starting to use that to surface those options that you have available to you and then exploring those options um, in a range of different scenarios and starting to kind of actually make informed decisions about how you can change your landscape over time so does agroforestry work best for me here should i be looking at cover crops should i be uh, looking at other aspects of other systems um, and how do i integrate that into the system that i already have um, and i think again that's with the kind of relationship we have uh, establishing with suffolk flag um, organizations like suffolk like like flag are, are uh, ones where there's kind of expert skill set to engage directly with farm businesses to support them with that decision making once they're empowered with that data and uh, uh, to to kind of build that conversation onwards for now obviously it's not just planting trees and and that kind of thing anymore it's an opportunity for people to get involved in the industry and see how diverse agriculture is what other careers are involved then in agroforestry and this natural capital project that um 
or even within Ferra that people could get involved in that's still agriculture, but maybe like careers they've not potentially ever thought were there. Yeah, yeah. So I came into agriculture uh, with a geography degree and then a background, a kind of soil management background that's specialised as a soil scientist. Um, and that's served me well um, uh, through my career to this point. Um, but I think obviously as we start to bring uh, agriculture and ecology closer together, um, we're going to need a greater skill set uh, than we've ever had before um, because we're starting to look at the actual ecology of that system and the ecosystems and that inherently requires you to have people who can understand everything that happens at a systems level. So how does this all connect into food supply chains, global supply chains, but also you need people who can understand stuff at a really micro level. Um, so uh, that real kind of ecological expertise on a discipline level. Uh, as an organization like Vera, we have a fascinating array of people who have a real kind of uh, mixture of different roles. We've got those who've dedicated their entire careers to looking at specific um, uh, kind of uh, areas so maybe kind of a mycologist or a nematologist um, but then we've also got people who've got uh, kind of uh, skill sets in um, environmental economics or remote sensing so skills that are more kind of transferable um, as well so it takes that that real mix to actually uh, address some of these big questions. And Glenn just quickly going back to you do you think that farmers have the time and, and you know are keen to to add these ecosystems and to do these these changes to help the environment or do you think it's hitting a bit of a brick wall there's a bit of a buffer in front of us at the moment in that um, we've got so much change coming to us um so we've got all the new schemes coming out of defra uh, people are used to an old BPS European driven scheme, which is quite complex. Um, and they can't actually, I think they can't believe at the moment how simple some of the schemes are that we're, are being put to us. So it's about enabling to, to do these land management options in, in the easiest possible way with almost a light touch. But the, the what, what is needed is, as you hinted at, is the guidance from ecologists, environmentalists, conservationists to help them realise it's part of their business. Um, so if you look back, we've had this problem that we've become so fossil fuel based um, and we now need to, as Anna will put it, to naturalise some of our farming systems. And so um, that is something that we've, we've always looked to the can or the fertiliser tank. And we've now got to say this is a change and it's a change which actually will ensure uh, that we have productive soils for food going forward. And Anna, if we just bring you in, so obviously you've collaborated with, with Ferro. Talk to me a bit about these farm walks that you've been doing and the purpose of them, what you've wanted to achieve. Uh, well, for, firstly, um, a little bit about my background. Um, I come from international global business, uh, and then into academia, where um, I studied in specialised systems-based uh, science, which is at the epicentre of this debate, natural capital. This is where it comes from. So I don't think we can underestimate that nationally and probably internationally, we haven't been here before. There's a huge paradigm shift. We've we've pulled out of Brexit, which basically means that we now have our own agricultural bill and environmental bill, all set with global targets for carbon and biodiversity. So this is what is driving the change. It's important to understand why we're doing this. FWAG, as um, 
or Farming Wildlife Advisory Group and Suffolk in particular, is one of the original organizations. We're an advisory body and it was created from farmers basically um, who, who had a passion and consideration for wildlife and the environment. So I consider us one of the originals, the authentic in this mix. And our role is, is to provide advice. And I think this is what's interesting um, in today's climate because there's no blueprint for the journey we're about to begin. And we haven't been here before. So the even title natural capital is uh, not a familiar term. In fact, it was one of the questions I asked our group of members that night who had heard of natural capital. No hands went up, which is interesting, but they've all heard of carbon and they've all heard of biodiversity net gain. So you can ask the question, our theme that evening was actually taking stock. And what I wanted to do was to focus the, the light on a bigger perspective, because what a lot of the movements today don't have is a context. And natural capital gives everything that we're currently discussing a context. It allows you to pinboard everything, whether it's regenerative agriculture, whether it's agroforestry, whether it's the schemes, whether it's you know, all these different movements, organics. Um, if you understand natural capital, you understand the position of everything. But unfortunately, this seems to be lost in translation somewhat. Uh, so what we were trying to do is to give our members context. And once they have context, they can probably understand going forward uh, the pathway. The, as an organization, what I tend to look at is not necessarily the solutions, because there are plenty of those out there at the moment. Uh, I tend to look at the barriers to change. What is actually preventing the change from happening? And when you look at that, you get a very different story. Just some of the major things at the moment is farming needs a business case. And this is a, a very strong uh, aspect. It's a challenge at the moment. And I think um, addressing it through the natural capital lens provides a business case for farmers to change. Plus the fact we have incredible rapid dynamics, a paradigm shift everywhere. We've had Brexit, we've had COVID, we've had wars or still in wars, and then we've got the major overarching climate change. So the dynamics and unpredictability and uncertainty is ever increasing. So by, um, I was looking in the marketplace for something that uh, could provide uh, a response and give farming a business case to change um, and uh, could give us a context. So the words were right, natural capital. Um, and it's more of a system-led approach as opposed to a short-term measure. Um, and what I was trying to express to the members that night, that this is a valuation of your natural assets. And then comes the conundrum of what is uh, natural capital assets. And, and as Guy pointed out, yes, it's everything we see. It's everything in the natural world, but actually more important, it's everything we don't see. And these are the micro worlds, the underground economies, the soil and everything that happens in it. And the problem is, is that farming and this big quest for progress, which is probably the subject of a, another talk, what is progress, uh, has interrupted and undermined uh, this complex communication in the worlds we don't see. So this is the value that we're trying to reinstate from a systems approach. 
uh, and and then build up to, through the scales. So the trees and the habitats and the, the hedgerows are a result of what we can see on our radar, but there are these micro worlds that have been severely interrupted, uh, which uh, basically undermine human existence and human well-being, which are the targets ultimately. So as an organization, it was important that I found the right tools for the job. And um, I believe that uh, Land360 uh, certainly has the capacity to deal with the two major challenges, giving farming a business case and giving us a context in which to work. Are older farmers going to adopt this or is this something that you think is going to be more taken in by the younger generation coming up? What was kind of the atmosphere maybe like at the talk or who was more receptive? That's an interesting question. Uh, I've got to be honest, it's the older generation that is taking this up. Wow. And uh, it's not the younger generation. Uh, and I speak to many of the next generation on large estates. And um, it's not part of uh, the study of agriculture or the environment to a certain extent. There's still very much old fashioned conservation going on in the environment sector. So that's not particularly progressive either. And the same with the environment sector. So for some reason, uh, natural capital and the true context of where we are at the moment is not embraced by the younger generation. Um, and it, but it is by the older. And I could say I would probably put it at 85% of the people on the walk were the older generation. They are the custodians right now, the key holders, but they will be passing this on to their generation. The younger generation certainly understand about climate change. Um, as yet, I have to await some action in terms of how they are taking this up. <laughs> That's really surprising, actually. You know, I um, I thought potentially that, you know, especially sort of younger, potentially 20s, 30s, they go to uni, don't they, to study agriculture or, or go on these courses that they'd be kind of being taught this at a, at a core level there. So that's um, that's really interesting. How um, how do you see the collaboration between Ferrer and um, the group kind of going or what's kind of the, the bigger aim of this? Obviously, the, the farm walks are getting people talking about it, which is absolutely amazing. But what's kind of the bigger aim if you've got one? That, that's another good question and something that I've discussed with Guy. Um, the, the reason that uh, Land360 and Ferrer caught my eye, and I've been looking for, for two years uh, for the right tool that came from systems-led science, that was critical. Um, I think what's interesting is that it's not a static tool where many are. Um, this is fit for purpose. I think it has longevity to it. And I think it will continue to evolve. Uh, where we have got a very good synergy in the partnership we are developing, and it's ongoing. It's a very exploratory partnership, which is quite exciting. These are the partnerships of today, not of yesterday. And this is where we're cutting new ground everywhere, how we do business, uh, the people that, the actors that, that are doing 
the business. Uh, this is where it, there is no blueprint and there's an excitement to it and there's no fear to it because this is all uncharted territory. So I think the exciting thing about Ferret is the capacity because of where it comes from. It's, it's an extensive science unit. It has uh, deep roots. Uh, fundamentally that integrates the two sectors of environment and agriculture. So I think where we're working right now, uh, we're, we're at the beginning of the journey and we're testing this tool. Um, but I think it's got enormous stretch um, and it will keep evolving. At the moment, it really addresses um, good scales, both micro and macro within farming. And we need those uh, scales to, to uh, confront the challenges of today. Um, but, uh, and we're very much focusing on the carbon and the biodiversity net gain within a natural capital context. But uh, there is the uh, core fundamental aim of all this, which is about functionality and building resilience within damaged ecosystems. So we need um, tools like, like Land360 uh, to be, it's, it's as good as the data we put into it, and it's as good as we are as interpreting it. So it's very much dependent on us. A lot of this technology is only as good as we are. So we have to challenge that data and manipulate that data to give us really progressive understanding of what it's showing us. Um, I hope that it will illuminate pathways for estate and farm managers in respect that it will show you very clearly where you need to create um, more resilience on your land, where you need to perhaps restore legacy systems or where perhaps you have very high integrity and are in protected areas, in which case you will need to protect and maintain but I think I'm keen that this is not a tool to just support schemes. Um, I see the schemes uh, probably three or 4% uh, viable for the challenge we have today. They are elements of it. It is not the whole, which is where we were before, very reliant on subsidy. This is a tool to empower farmers um, to perhaps enter the blended markets, the finance markets of the future. And you can only do that if you know what you've got. I think I drew the, drew the analogy of anybody at the farm walk who had antiques or were collectors of fine art or artworks. You would bring in an expert valuer such as Sotheby's or Christie's to value your asset. These assets are dependent on not just the volume, but the quality. So, uh, for example, a, a Tudor table uh, would be worth a great deal of money, depending also on who made the table, the master craftsmanship. This is exactly the same concept for your natural capital. It is the quality of your natural capital, where it is positioned within the farm estate in the ecological unit, and um, how much of it you have. Helmingham and Framston Hall was interesting because it is steeped in history, stemming right back to Saxon and Norman heritage. So we were sitting in a historical heritage capital, if you want to put it that way. Capital does not just exist as natural capital. There is social capital. There is historic capital. There is economic capital. So it's a big scientific concept and it doesn't really have boundaries. And that's why I'm interested in Ferra and Land360, because we are not bounded we are not fixed it is just not a, a one-stop shop 
Um, and that is what is exciting about the partnership. It's got legs. Yeah, it's got real, real potential as well. If finally, if you were to sum this up to farmers, you know, maybe they've they've got through the podcast episode and they're thinking this is quite a lot, a lot of new terminology, some stuff I'm not, you know, 100% sure what it means. I mean, you've all explained it really, really well, but maybe in a sentence or a few words, if you were to sum up to farmers why they should get more involved in, in this or or what it's about, briefly, what would each of you say? If we maybe start with Anna and and then go to Glenn and then Guy. Uh, my opening line for the theme for the talks was um, taking stock, natural capital is a business decision. And I think that is the critical message. This is about your bottom line. If you don't see it as anything else, it's about your bottom line. Um, the regenerative agriculture, which is one of the approaches that we can use to this, um, is about fundamentally not a set of instructions or prescriptions, but a set of principles. And um, understanding those principles uh, helps your bottom line. It, you'll probably be forced in that direction anyway because of the current wars, because of Brexit and because of COVID, our inputs to farming have quadrupled in some cases. This is completely unsustainable, whereby we can end up with strap lines that cucumber actually cost £10 to produce. Um, and that's a fact. So who's going to be buying a £10 cucumber? So this is about your inputs, reducing your inputs, reducing your overdependence on certain areas, whether it be chemicals, a person, a subsidy, a market. This is our vulnerability. So to me, natural capital is a business decision. It's about knowing your value. And then you can move towards reducing your inputs. Uh, why wouldn't you? It's, it's a win-win scenario. And ultimately, your output will be producing exceptional nutritional food for the future. So we may not all be farmers, but we are all consumers. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, maybe the, the same question to you. Okay, yeah. Well, I think really um, uh, we've industrialised our agriculture. Food's been too cheap. The externalities have been the consequences for the environment and our soils. And it's time we woke up and society needs to wake up as well. And unfortunately, we probably all need really to be ecologists more than, um, than farmers to understand where we've got to and how we're going to climb out of this hole. And, and Guy, finally? Yeah, I think... Uh, fairly succinctly covered but i think it's that piece around uh, our farm systems need to change they uh, need to change radically um, and rapidly um, and if you're managing a farm system you can either do that proactively or you can do that reactively um, but any change to that system um, you're going to want to understand uh, what you have and what the capacity for change is i think uh, obviously there's a lot of interest at the moment from a kind of carbon and biodiversity in this kind of blended finance models and uh, the financial opportunities of those, but actually kind of following both of those back to uh, their base in natural capital is a really important component, actually understanding what you have available to yourself, uh, what the health of those habitats, uh, those features are, um, what the opportunity and the potential is, is really fundamental uh, because it, this is only going to grow in pace and accelerate. And um, so accepting and understanding the complexity of the natural environment is, is a really key kind of mindset change um, going forward. 
Definitely. Well, I just want to thank you all for chatting with me today. I've really, really enjoyed it and learned a great deal. And I hope that everyone listening has. So that was Glenn Buckingham, Guy Thallon and Anna Beams. Um, thank you again so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Well, that's it from me this week on Over the Farm Gate. Don't forget to like and subscribe on all the usual streaming platforms to keep up to date with when each new episode is out. But you can also go back through our other episodes and find other conversations that apply and matter to you. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email on podcasts at farmersguardian.com. I've been Lucy Baxter, and from the team here at Farmers Guardian, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.